If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please open to 1 John chapter 3. We're entering into the third chapter today as we look at verses 1 through 3. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's holy word. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Pray with me, please. Father, this is your word. As the psalm says, it is true, it is radiant, it is sweeter than honey. We know that it is infallible and inerrant because you are the supreme author of it. We know it is there to teach us, to rebuke us, to correct us, to train us in righteousness. We know that the grass might wither and the flowers might fall, but this word stands forever. And as you teach us today about being our Father and about all of us being your children, those who have known Jesus Christ for salvation, that we are your children, may our ears and our hearts and minds be receptive to the things of God. And God, if there is one here today who is not a child of God, who has never known you as Father, Do a work in that one's heart today and draw him or her savingly to yourself. It's in Jesus' name we pray all of these things. Amen. Please be seated. You know, over the last several weeks as we've walked through 1 John, we've seen a lot of the great doctrines of the faith. It was a few weeks ago, my brother Ladd preached on the doctrine of repentance out of 1 John chapter 1, confessing your sin and repentance. And we learn that repentance is when a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God, as he's walking towards his sin, does, he realizes his, that it's sin against God, and instead of walking to, towards it, he does a U-turn, and he walks the other way. He walks towards the Lord Jesus Christ, repenting of his sin, turning to embrace Jesus. A few weeks later, I preached out of 1 John chapter 2. We learned the doctrine of propitiation. Propitiation had everything to do with the wrath of God. And we learned that that doctrine taught us that God turns his wrath from the sinner and he puts it on the Savior. Where the Savior quenches the wrath of God and satisfies divine justice forever. And that's the way God forgives us of our sin. Because Jesus Christ takes the wrath. Last week, we learned another doctrine. Our brother Daniel brought us a message on justification. And we learned that justification was an act of God's free grace, where he pardons our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight, only because Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. Those were some big theological terms that we went through, from repentance to propitiation to justification. It was packed with doctrine, and we love those doctrines because they teach us 
how Jesus saves us from our sins. But today, John gets very personal and relational because he wants us to know that when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just do that to save us from our sins. He didn't just do that to give us repentance and propitiation and justification. That wasn't the end of it. There's way more, a whole lot more. And today's text takes us there. It takes us into a personal and relational God. And you know what this text teaches us? It teaches us that Jesus died to make us the children of God. I want you to think about that for a second. He didn't just die to take away our sins. He takes away our sins. But then he takes us as his people and he puts us into his family and declares to us that we are the children of God. Look back at verse 1 with me of that text. John says it this way. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. Other translations say lavished on us. That we should be called what? Children of God. Beloved, do you see how personal that is? How relational that is? How intimate that is? Yes, Jesus died to save us from our sins, but he did that so that you and I can be engrafted into his family and be called the children of God. And because the Bible says we're God's children, that means that for those who belong to Jesus Christ, we have certain privileges, certain rights, certain benefits that flow from that father-child relationship. And today, we're going to look at those privileges and benefits. Now, let me just go ahead and say this right now. Today, you're going to get a lot of scripture, so get ready. I want your faith to be fed by the Word of God. I want your faith to be strengthened by Scripture. Psalm 1 says that the blessed man meditates on the Word. And today we're going to go through a lot of Scripture. Some of them I'm going to say to you. Some of them we're going to put on the screen so you can see them. But I want you to know, beloved, what the Bible says are the privileges, the benefits of being a child of God Read verse 1 with me one more time as we start this. It says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. You know, I know for many of you in our congregation, adoption has been part of your lives. We just prayed for a couple uh, folks in our church, as they're getting ready to go through the adoption process, I know many of you have adopted children into your families. Maybe you have been adopted. I know that many of you have traveled long distances. You've paid great prices so that you can set your affection on a child maybe you've never seen before. You've never known that child before. But you did it so you could have the joy of having a precious child you could call your own. But I also know that you did it so that that child can have privileges and benefits that he or she wouldn't have without you in their lives. 
benefits of being part of your family, that they're going to have someone now to love them, to care for them within a family unit. And in much the same way, beloved, did you know that the Bible says that there is a doctrine called adoption, spiritual adoption, that God actually adopts his children into his family. Our brother Daryl read the passage just a moment ago from Romans 8. Let me review some of that with you. It said this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons. We cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Theologically, the Westminster Shorter Catechism asks the question, what is adoption? And it says that adoption is an act of God's free grace whereby we are received into the number and have all the rights and privileges of the sons of God. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says God's Spirit is in your heart, a Spirit that cries out, Abba, Father, Daddy. And because of that, God gives us certain rights, benefits, and privileges. What are they? That's the first part of our sermon today. What are those? I'm going to give you five. Are these the only five? No, they're not. But these are the five I've pulled out from the Scripture Five benefits of being a child of God. Number one is this, God's love. God's amazing love. We read a text like this. Verse one says, see what kind of what? Love. The word picture behind this is, is look, behold, pay attention. See what kind of love that God, what God has loved us with. How great, some texts say, is this love. It implies astonishment. It implies admiration. And as we read the Bible, we know that that love is a sacrificial love, isn't it? Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrates his own love towards us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. It was sacrificial. Christ gave up himself so that you and I could be adopted into the family of God. The gospels say it's a seeking love. Jesus said in the book of Luke, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Like a lady looking for her lost coin, like a shepherd going out and looking for his lost sheep. Our great shepherd seeks us out even when we don't deserve it. But the text I want to focus on most of all comes from Romans. And James, you can go ahead and put that slide up on the screen. When you think about God's love, beloved, I want you to think about Romans 8. Here's what it says. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, we'll go to the next one, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation, 
will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. How does Scripture describe the love of God? As a binding love. Something that will never let you go. And Paul, as he writes Romans, starts asking the question, what can separate me from this love? Can angels or principalities? Hey, maybe death. That's what's going to separate me. When I die, I must be losing the love of God. About three or four weeks ago, when I visited Sandy in hospice, I sat right beside her bed, and it was, it was very clear that she wasn't going to be able to eat any more food, any more solid foods. And I looked her right in the eye, and I said, Sandy, we might not be able to feed your stomach, but we're going to feed your soul. We're going to feed it with Scripture. We're going to equip your heart with the Scriptures. And we read this text right here. And Sandy knew she was dying. Sandy knew that her jar of clay was breaking. But she also knew that as her outward self was wasting away, her inner self was being renewed day by day. Why? We read this text. Nothing could separate her from the love of God in Christ. Not life and definitely not in death. We sing that song in Christ alone which says, No guilt in life, no fear in death. Why? This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. Nothing, nothing could pull her from the hand of God because she was bound in the love of Christ. She was a child of God and nothing could separate her from God's love. And I will tell you today, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, nothing will separate you from the love of God either. Isn't that a comfort, beloved, that we know about the love of God in our lives? It is a love like no other. We don't deserve it, but we can't escape it. Such is the love of God, the benefit he gives his children. The second benefit that we get is God's care. Not only does God love us, the Bible says, as his children, he cares for us. A scripture I do quote a lot from the pulpit when we pray is 1 Peter 5, 7. It says, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. I love that word cast. And I love that Peter wrote it because Peter was a fisherman. He was in the business of casting nets all the time. Think about that. Peter would cast his net to catch fish. So here's the fisherman riding under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit saying to the people of God, don't cast your nets, but cast your cares. Cast your cares on the Lord. Why? Because he cares for you. Do you see that Jesus didn't just come to save you from your sin? He came to engraft you into his family. And like a father cares for his child, our God cares for you. James, you can put the next slide up. When you think about the care of God, I want you to think about this text. It's a lengthy text. I'm going to read it, but I want let it, let it soak into your hearts. Let it soak into your minds. This is what Jesus is saying. This is the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says about God's care, therefore I tell you, 
Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Beloved, the Lord Jesus is teaching us how God cares for us, and I love the way he does it. He picks examples. He says, think about the birds. If you're hungry, think about the birds. If God feeds those birds, will he not that much more feed you? Consider the lilies of the field, Jesus says. If God dresses these lilies to look better than Solomon looked, Will he not that much more look out for you to dress you? Oh, you of little faith, don't you know that your heavenly Father knows what you need even before you ask? Who forgets about that one? That's me. Reminds us of what Paul said back in Philippians when we looked at that last month. Paul said, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God so that the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus. And we, if you remember, we said back then, on this side was anxiety, on this side was peace. What's in the middle? Prayer. That God cares for us. He, he wants to hear from us in prayer. If he cares for those birds, if he cares for those flowers, yes, he will care for us. He cared for Noah by giving him an ark. He cared for Abraham and for Isaac by giving them a ram. He cared for Joseph by giving him the interpretation of dreams. He cared for David by giving him the caves of Engedi. He cared for Paul by giving him Barnabas and Silas and Luke and Timothy. And beloved, he will care for you. He will care for me. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto thee. So we've seen God's love. We've seen God's care. Thirdly, I want you to see a father-child relationship. The text Daryl read just a moment ago, we'll put it back on the screen. It's Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Speaking of the care of a father-child relationship, it says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, 
Father. You know, a lot of times in English, when we have a child, the first words many times off a child's mouth is dada. Right? Dada. Go ahead and say it. Dada. It's phonetically easy to say, isn't it? It's not as difficult as some other words. So therefore, that's oftentimes the, the first thing that rolls off a child's mouth. Dada. Dada. Well, in the first century, what was the word for dada? Abba. Say it. Abba. See how phonetically easy that is to say? Abba. This is actually an Aramaic word. The Bible was written in Greek. The New Testament was written in Greek. So here's an Aramaic word that's put into a Greek text. Why? Because the Apostle Paul knew that this Aramaic word, Abba, that was the word that children used, little children used to speak to their father. That personal word, that relational word, Abba, Daddy. At my house with my kids, I hear it all the time. Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. Daddy this, Daddy that. Do you hear that, lad? All the time. <laughs> he hears it more than I do. <laughs> And I'll guarantee you, lad stands ready as their father to have this relationship with his child. And he wants his children to call him daddy. He desires that his children run to him. I desire that my children run to me. Daddy, daddy, daddy. Because there's a personal relationship there. So let's take a step back and realize something. The word that God chose to put in the Bible to describe his child's relationship with him as father is that personal, intimate, relational word, Daddy, Abba. And God wants us to come to him and say, Abba, Father, I'm in need. I have this or that. I want you to hear from me. I want you to talk to me. Prayer, beloved, is one of the most amazing gifts God has given us because the almighty, sovereign God of the universe desires to have a relationship with you, his child, and he wants you to run to him, crying out, Abba, Father. And God speaks back to us through his word. We speak to him in prayer. It is relational. It is intimate. It is conversational. And that is the relationship God has given you as his child. Do you see? Jesus did so much more for us than just save us from our sins. He saved us so that we can be part of the family of God. As, and as an adopted child, he wants you to have this intimate relationship. What's the first two words of the Lord's Prayer? Our Father. Do you see the intimacy right there, right at the beginning? Our Father. It's not, oh, some great force out of the distance, please help me. It is, no, it's, it's my Father. It's my Daddy. It's the one who I have an intimate relationship. That, beloved, is a benefit of being a child of God. Number four. Number four is discipline. Some of you might say, hey, wait a second, Adam. I thought you were talking about privileges. <laughs> Discipline. It's 
going to hurt you more than it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you, right? That's what we say. <laughs> discipline. As a child, I have a question. Did you see discipline as a benefit? At the moment you're going through discipline, does it seem like a benefit? It doesn't. Did you know the Bible agrees with that? We'll put the next slide on the screen about discipline. This is Hebrews 12. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Listen careful to this last verse. Here it is. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The Bible says at the moment you receive discipline, it's not fun. It's not pleasant. It's not supposed to be. But later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace in those who have been trained by it. And God, as a good, good father, as one who has adopted us into his family, he's going to discipline his children. And sometimes that's going to be painful for us. But the Bible says it's there to push us towards a harvest of righteousness and peace. A little story about discipline. Several years ago, I was asked to teach a New Testament survey class in a high school and uh, I had taught all my lessons, and it was test day. And I couldn't be there on test day. I think I was at Presbytery, actually. I couldn't be there for test day, so I had a substitute oversee the test. And within that test, she caught a young lady cheating on her Bible test <laughs> of all tests. <laughs> well, she, she got caught. Again, I wasn't there, but she had to go to the principal's office, and then she had to go home. And uh, I didn't get to meet with her till the next week, but you can imagine what happened. There was discipline handed down from the school. There was discipline handed down in her home. And the next week, she voluntarily, to her credit, she voluntarily came to my office, and she came in tears and said, Hey, Mr. Mumpower, I did it. I cheated on your test. I am very sorry. I've learned my lesson. I'm getting my lesson taught to me by the school. I'm getting my lesson taught to me at home. And she had tears running down her cheeks. And I looked at her and I could see the pain of discipline of what she was going through in her eyes. And I told her, I said, you know what? This hurts right now, doesn't it? She's like, oh, yeah, it hurts. I go, but right now you're learning a lesson that's going to help you for the rest of your life. See, now you're learning not to lie and not to cheat so that one day you don't lie and cheat about your income taxes or you don't lie and cheat to your boss. You don't lie and cheat on your spouse. It's painful now. Learn the lesson now while you're young and let that train you for righteousness and peace in your future. Beloved, God allows things in our life, things that are hard, things that are disciplined in nature, and they're not pleasant in the time. But he does that so that in the future we might learn from that, we might grow from that. Is discipline a benefit? Yes. It's a benefit of being adopted into the family of God. And number five, 
an inheritance. We'll put John chapter 14 on the screen. This is the last text we'll put on the screen. This is the words of Jesus Christ. He says, let your hearts, or let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also an inheritance. Have any of you received an inheritance from your parents? Parents, do you plan an inheritance for your children? Something that you have that they are going to receive one day. According to this text, our good, good father is preparing an inheritance for his children. Jesus says to us, I'm going away. I'm going to my father. And right now, he is preparing a place for you. Think about that. That right now, if we're children of God, God is planning something in heaven to give to his children when he calls us to be with him. And Jesus says, if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back that where I am, you may be also, that you might receive this inheritance. Beloved, heaven is our future home. We have an inheritance waiting on us. And we see yet again how our Father cares for his people. Over and over and over, we see his love, his care, the father-child relationship, discipline. We see inheritance, all of these things. This is how God loves us in Christ. This is how God takes care of his children. But beloved, as we close this morning... I want to remind you of one more verse. It's John chapter 8, verse 44. Because in that verse, the Lord Jesus teaches us that not everyone is a child of God. In that verse, he's speaking to the the Jews, many of the Pharisees, and he talks about their true father, who is Satan himself. You see, there's this teaching that you're going to get in some churches is that all people are children of God. We're just in one big bag. Everyone's a child of God. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus looked at some of these Jews in the face and said, you're not of my father. You're of your father, the devil. They didn't know Jesus. They couldn't have the rights, benefits, and privileges of being part of the family of God. And my question to you today, where are you? Who is your father? Do you know that God is your father? Have you been adopted into the family of God? You know, if you are here and you have never trusted Christ, if God is not your father, you might have walked in here that way, but you don't have to walk out that way. That you can go to him right now and say, God, I'm repenting of my sin. I understand the propitiation, the wrath you took away from me. I understand that I can be justified by your grace through faith. And I receive you. I rest upon you for eternal life. And would you be my father? And Jesus says, I will never turn anyone away who comes to me. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That you can be a child of God. Examine your heart under the preaching of this scripture. Do you know God? Because if you don't know God, the Bible says your father is the devil. That there's not a third option. It's one or the other. And today, you can know God as your father. And for believers here today, isn't this a comforting reminder of the love God has for us, of his care? If you're going through anxiety today, see the care God has for you. If he cares for those birds and those flowers, will he not much more care for you? See the father-child relationship that you can call him daddy, Abba, father. That yes, he's going to be there for your good to discipline you because every good father disciplines his sons. And even one day he's promised an inheritance for you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And nothing can separate you from his love, not even death. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.